0: What's going on, baseball fans? Welcome to episode five of This Week in Baseball, presented by Diamond Digest. I'm your host, Jordan Lazowski. For all of you joining for the first time, welcome to our weekly recap of all the big news, highlights, and analysis throughout the week. And joining me this week, we have three returning guests from previous weeks, Jonah Kane, Diego Franco Carreno, and Ryan Rudy, three of our longtime uh, Diamond Digest writers as well on here. Gentlemen, how are we doing this evening? Pretty good. Yeah, not too bad. Not so bad. We got a lot to talk about tonight. Um, we're going to try and keep this a little bit shorter than previous podcasts, try and give you some of the highlights, but also we have a pretty serious topic to talk about in terms of what's going on across the league this week. Um, as we were putting together the podcast this week, we decided – It wouldn't be fair to the situation going on both in baseball, around sport leagues, and in the world if we treated this podcast as if it were any other week. Um, So we'll talk about the standings, some of the COVID updates like we usually do. Um, We'll find out whether or not you were traded to the Padres, and if you're (laughs) listening, odds are you might have been. (laughs) And finally, we'll get into our main topic, the racial injustices, um, both in baseball, in sports, and around the world, and again... That will be our main topic this evening. But let's start with the standings. If the season ended today, and by today I mean August 30th at 8.20 central time when we're recording this. So if the standings change, don't yell at us. Because the season always could end today. In the West, the Athletics and the Astros would be the two teams to make to the playoffs. In the AL Central, you would have the White Sox and the Indians. The AL East would see the Rays and the Yankees. And the AL wildcard would be the Twins and the Blue Jays. In the NL West, the Dodgers and the San Diego Padres would be your two teams. The NL Central, the Cubs and the Cardinals. The NL East, the Braves, and at the time of this taping, the Phillies, it could change. And the wild card is the Rockies and the Marlins. So, Ryan, your Cubs are still in this. The Royals were never in it. Um, Sorry. Diego, your Giants were in it at the last time of the taping when you were on, and they are no longer in the playoff picture. And Jonah, your Marlins continue to hang on. I'll turn it over to you guys. Any thoughts, comments about the standings as currently constructed in the league? Any surprises, any thoughts, anything?
1: I think that's something that's like kind of cool to watch is the fact that um, the new format this year... Uh, just about every team's in it. Like every team can, or at least in the on the National League side, last time I looked at it, like every team's a few games out with like a good portion of the season left to go. Like any team can sneak into those last couple spots. Like even, I mean, as a Giants fan, last time we did this after the first week, the Giants were sitting pretty, and now they're I think two games back. Uh, they're not too far out of the uh, the picture just yet, and so it's going to be a very competitive. Uh, next few weeks and the trade deadline going on from here on out, it's going to be kind of wild and fun to watch.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even in the American league where things have been more clear cut, the uh, Tigers have proven that not everything is so um, easy to, uh, to decide between contenders and non-contenders because they've swept the twins and brought themselves right next to uh, right outside the playoff picture. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's more than, more than a regular year, almost it feels like one series can make all the difference.
3: Yeah, and like looking at the not just the wild card races, which is usually what this comes down to. I think almost every division, um, the second place team is wide open, and then there's teams fighting for the third, for a wild card spot after that. Like I know the NL East, there's like three teams like a game and a half out of each other for the second spot. So it's going to be interesting down the stretch for sure.
0: I think you're also start starting to see the, um, the effect that the uh, regional, regionalized schedules is going to have on the league this year. You know, between, I mean, I can speak primarily to the AL Central, but the Royals swept the Twins a couple weeks ago, and everyone's like, all right, how are the Royals sweeping the division favorite Minnesota Twins in a season like this where the team seems so far apart? And then the Tigers have now gone and swept the Twins. And the Royals, though they lost 2-3 of to the White Sox this weekend, certainly gave them fits. I can tell you none of those three games were particularly easy. And I'm not going to sit here and pretend that the White Sox deserve to take 2-3 of um, from this series. Certainly not the best situational defense, hitting, whatever call you. But I think seeing more of these teams, and only these teams, and only having to prepare for these teams that are in your division and the division in the opposite league, it's starting to show a difference. Maybe you're playing the same amount in terms of percentage-wise against your division, but the way teams are preparing seems to be a little bit different. You're starting to see that even those teams that, oh, you should beat them, you should beat X, Y, and Z team, it's not that cut and dry this year. And I think that's part of what's keeping the division – Race is so interesting, and even those just outside of it, you, you talked about it, Ryan, that seemed team like the Tigers is still very in it in the American League, and in the National League, the Marlins are under five hundred and they're in the playoffs. So it, it's, it's not anyone really taking the reins of those seven and eight spots, and it's keeping it very interesting now heading into the sixth week this season.
2: And to, uh, to speak to that a little bit more, and also the variance in a shortened season, um, since we're more than halfway through now, the Tigers, even after winning four games in a row, still have a worse run differential than the Royals. And they sit a full four games ahead of them. So, you know, that that kind of speaks to that variability that you can get just by grabbing a couple games, even when a team like the Tigers is still negative 21 run differential. But they're right in it. So you never, you know, it's <laughs> you don't know. Yeah
0: about the only thing you know this year is that you don't know what's going on and I I think that's the fun of it and I wonder if you know as we're going to talk about the trades coming up here soon and seeing what happens at the deadline and seeing what kind of teams make it in and how the playoffs go this year I I want to say I hope the expanded playoffs in some form are a long-term thing I don't know if it's necessarily going to be eight teams or whatever they decide to do but I think expanded playoffs in general you're starting to see something that in general, like I'm saying, is, is pretty good for the league. You're seeing teams that maybe if they don't necessarily deserve to be there, but it's keeping the fan bases interested. It's keeping more people engaged in watching games. I think that's one of the biggest things that um, the expanded playoffs addresses, which is, I mean, again, good for fans of teams that probably didn't expect to be in it this year.
3: Yeah, I still have mixed feelings about the expanded playoffs, mainly because I like that there, and I do think there needs to be a couple more teams, but this year feels very much like an all-out sprint where everyone's just going for it as opposed to the marathon that I love so much about baseball and how looking back, all the little details end up building up and paint the bigger picture. Now it's just one win, one win, one win. And so I have a lot of mixed feelings about that.
0: No, I mean, and that's understandable, too. Ryan, Diego, any thoughts on expanded playoffs?
2: I mean well, – Go ahead, Diego. Sorry.
1: All right, now, um, well, I was going to say, like, I mean, I think the expanded playoffs ultimately are probably, probably good for the league, like, uh, rating-wise and exposure-wise. Like, and I know uh, Laz had said, um, like, you sometimes get those teams that don't deserve to be there necessarily. But, I mean, if you look at a, a league like the NBA – you have the East, like, in the NBA, you have usually a team or two that sneak in who are, like, not exactly good teams, but they get into the playoffs and their fan base is always excited for it. And then they become that um, underdog story. And then, like, if they win a game, they're like, oh, my gosh, things could be happening here. Like, even in, like, the bubble uh, right now for the NBA, uh, like, Orlando won that first game against uh, the Bucks. They got, like, lost four straight after that. But that one game is, like, so big. And, like, it's, like, there's a lot of excitement around it. And, like, that could happen, like, probably pretty easily transition to baseball and watching those teams, like, go for it and see what happens there.
2: Yeah. And speaking to your point, Diego, I mean, a lot of people were concerned about, you know, we're talking about, you know, opening series in in the playoffs now for baseball that are three-game series. And there's so much variability involved in three games. It could really go either way. So um that potentially makes a big difference and then one other consequence of that that i think we're seeing um in live time as we're recording here is that we've got more teams that are in the mix for trades you know trades for the most part have gone down um pretty cut and dry but now um supposedly the sweepstakes for mike clevenger are really heating up and there have been at least four or five team names thrown in which isn't too atypical but So many teams pitching in, especially for one guy like that, um, is definitely a little bit noteworthy.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Way to almost steal my transition there, (laughs) um, Ryan, in terms of trades. But let's talk about the um, COVID testing, COVID results, and COVID in baseball really quickly before we get into the trades that you're so much alluding to, especially Mr. Mike Clevenger. No real updates this week from – COVID, nothing certainly like the Marlins or the Cardinals of recent weeks that we've unfortunately had to talk about.
1: The A's and Astros –
0: it is, yeah. The A's and Astros uh, did postpone one of their games due to a positive test on the A's. I don't believe the name has been revealed for that player or that staff member, Um, but certainly done out of precaution. However, the Astros once again did shut down their alternate site due to some positive COVID tests. So something to watch there for the Astros, certainly that's something like we had talked about the last time they shut down their alternate site. Those are your next line of defense. Those are the guys you're trying to pull from to try and help your playoff push. Not necessarily the kind of place you want to get a COVID outbreak. And certainly for the A's Astros, I I think we've seen that, you know, we've asked the question a million times, what's it going to take for baseball to cancel the playoffs or excuse me, cancel the season in general. And um, I I think they've responded with a resounding a lot more than just one positive COVID test on a team. Um, So certainly a situation to monitor. Hopefully the players and teams involved are all safe and healthy. Um, Hopefully nothing larger looms there for either team, but something to keep an eye on. Let's get to the trades. And like I said, if you're listening to this, you might have been traded to San Diego in recent days or recent time. Um, If not, you're soon to be on the way to San Diego because the big talk for the trade deadline so far, which is under 24 hours away, San Diego and AJ Preller are treating this as if it were 2015, going all in and making plenty of moves. We'll start with Mitch Moreland going to San Diego for Hudson Potts and Jason Rosario. Jason Castro went from the Angels for Gerardo Reyes. Trevor Rosenthal went from the Royals for Edward Olivares and a player to be named later. And moving on from the Rays for now, or from the Padres, excuse me, for now, because we'll get back to them. Brett Phillips was traded to the Rays from the Royals for Lucius Fox, among others. This morning, Jose Martinez was traded from the Rays to the Cubs for two players to be named later. The A's, as Kelly talked about last week, if you were listening, finally found their second baseman, trading for Tommy Listella of the Angels for Franklin Barreto. Michael Givens went to the Rockies to shore up their bullpen. The Orioles will receive Tyler Nevin and Taryn Vavra in return. The worst part of this podcast is trying to do all the names. (laughs) And Gerard Dyson went to the White Sox for international pool space. So basically they just gave the... Pirates the ability to spend some of their own money internationally. Those aren't all the trades, but they're certainly the biggest ones. Some names being discussed, thrown around, around the league. The biggest one being Mike Clevenger. It was reported earlier this evening before our taping that he had been traded to the San Diego Padres that has since been walked back. And it is now just a certainty of some sort that he's being traded to San Diego. However, it seems to get further and further walked back as we go as now the Braves, Yankees, and White Sox are all teams that have been connected to Mike Clevenger as well. Joey Gallo and Lance Lynn out in Texas have also been the topic of discussion. Lance Lynn, even speaking about it publicly, after last night's start, saying he has been in talks with Rangers GM John Daniels about all situations that might come up. Um, Joey Gallo is another name getting tossed around out there. Among many, many others in a trade deadline that, for many people's worries, that would not be a very active one, a very exciting one, has certainly been anything but. And Gentlemen, I know I just rattled off a lot there, but that's part of the news part of what I do. Feel free to talk about anything and everything related to the trades. I mean, certainly we'll see what happens with Mike Levenger in the coming hours, no doubt. Unfortunately, we won't be able to record about it on our podcast here. But again, I'll turn it over to you guys. Some of your teams are discussed here, some of yours aren't. But certainly all of your teams are impacted one way or another by the trade deadline.
2: Yeah, well, first thing, I was sitting here a week ago saying that the Royals absolutely need to trade Trevor Rosenthal, and they did it. Um, Congratulations. Made me happy. (laughs) Um, Because, yeah, I was pretty much saying last week, in recent years, we've watched them sit on with Merrifield and Ian Kennedy, and Merrifield's having a great season now. Kennedy is not, and either way, it doesn't matter because the Royals aren't really contending. So... Having Rosenthal, who is no guarantee after this season, and being able to get something meaningful for him moving forward, was a very good thing. And same thing for Brett Phillips, who was involved in a pretty big roster crunch in the outfield. Um, you know, ultimately, he is among the very best actually outfield uh, defenders in baseball. But for the Royals to be able to pick up some extra depth for the future when they've really been unsuccessful in developing Phillips' bat into anything meaningful, um, is also a good addition. And then moving over to the Cubs, um, a lot of people were saying that outside of reliever, one of the things the Cubs needed most was a bat uh, bat that could hit left-handed pitching and Jose Martinez fulfills that need very well. He comes out of kind of his own roster crunch in Tampa Bay that was actually uh, compounded by the addition of Brett Phillips and um, yeah, so there's no, it's not, you know, where Jose Martinez will play is no guarantee, especially because he's not excellent at any defensive position, but he's a bat that the Cubs definitely needed. And it appears since the return for the Rays is two players to be named later, that he didn't take any significant prospects out of the Cubs system to acquire him. And that's a bat that will stay in the Cubs lineup for two more years after this season also. Um, so it's a move that ads uh, with the future in mind as well rather than just being a rental for this year.
0: Jose Martinez was an interesting trade. Um, I'm surprised the Rays kind of not gave up on him. I gave up on him is a strong word, but we're willing to move him so uh, quickly after acquiring him over the offseason.
2: Yeah, well I was seeing um, I was seeing a little bit and I think Jeff Passan in his tweet about it also mentioned this. That um, the other guy that the Rays got in that trade with the Cardinals when they acquired Jose Martinez was um, Randy Eras Arez- Arena. That's a funny sure. that pronounce.
1: Um, <laughs> who who
2: is also an outfielder, bat first, and he was um, the idea that he is, that he will get more at bats in, in Martinez's absence. So you know with him. Austin Meadows, Kevin Kiermeyer, Manuel Margot, Hunter Renfro, and now Brett mm-hmm. Phillips. The Rays just had a ton of outfielders, and the Cubs um, made a good choice to capitalize on that. Um, you know, Ultimately, we'll see what the prospect cost was. Just because it wasn't a guy like Brennan Davis or Raylan Marquez doesn't mean that it's nothing, and um, you know, one of the classic wonders is trading your prospects to the Rays, so we'll see yeah. how it ultimately turns out, but... Uh, looks good on paper for both teams right
0: now. One thing to note for people listening: um, you're probably going to see this player to be named or player to be named later trade happen a lot. Reason being is the name's probably been agreed to. Certainly, some of these larger trades that might involve someone like a Mike Clevenger, um, there are going to be top prospects who aren't necessarily on 60-man rosters right now. And the rule is that if your player is not on a 60-man roster, you can't technically trade them. That doesn't mean the – let's just use an example because this is a really easy one and really good one. Michael Kopech for the White Sox, if he were to be traded, he would be considered a player to be named later. And if he were to be traded for a big-time name, it would feel like it was a very underwhelming deal um, for the team that that traded away a top name. Like say my Clevenger somehow. I'm using this as an ex- purely as an example. Um his prediction? Not my prediction. <laughs> I guarantee they're not trading Clevenger so, to trying to speak rival. It in. Trying to speak it into existence. If it was that, if it were that easy, uh, the Padres would have traded Tatis back to the Sox a while ago. Um, <laughs> but just speaking out that you know keep an eye on that player to be named later can mean a lot of things but right now it really just means a player who's not on the 60-man roster but doesn't mean they like ryan is alluding to doesn't mean they don't have some sort of value
2: um, yeah and especially with value. the rays i'm sure they have uh specific players right. that they want
0: <laughs> well, i think yeah. it's seems like the uh rays and the astros if the team calls you up and asks about a player, and you're not sure why. You should probably hang up the phone and figure <laughs> out why they're asking about that player before you trade them. But yeah. Diego, uh, Jonah, I'll turn it over to you guys. No, neither of your teams is really uh, involved here, but Diego, I know certainly for the Giants, there are some names that if the Giants decide to sell off here, that could yeah. be going. And certainly my White Sox are interested in, not just Kevin Gaussman, obviously, but
1: yeah, uh, so the Giants are in a really weird spot right now where, like, they they could sell, they could buy. Uh, there are rumors earlier this week about them being interested in Jackie Bradley Jr. from the Red Sox, um, and I thought that was an interesting um, development. When I saw it pop up, then it started making a lot of sense because our outfield uh, isn't exactly the the uh, bright, brightest spot on our team besides Mike Yastrzemski. Um, but, yeah, the Giants, if they do decide to trade, we've got the pieces to do it. Like, Kevin Gosman's been called uh, – we've gotten calls on him from the Yankees, the White Sox, I think, um, a few other teams. Um, I believe uh, we've gotten some more – like, some some of our, like, relievers, I believe, have gotten some calls too um, where we're trying to move some of those pieces. That's why uh, today and the last couple of days we've seen, at least in San Francisco games, some, some of our relievers in situations you might not normally see them in. Like, uh, Sam Coonrod today got his first career save, even though before today you could have asked any Giants fan and they would not have given Coonrod as a name to close out a game. Uh, so, and uh, Trevor Gott, who uh, got some news around the league a few weeks ago for being horrible for a few days, and Gabe Caplers mm-hmm. sticking with him, and he's the reason why we're under 500 right now. I'm not salty about it. Mm-hmm. Um, however, <laughs> yeah, uh, so we'll see what the Giants do. We're definitely keeping our eyes on the Padres uh they they're four four games ahead of the giants right now um, in the division for the second spot i believe and with they keep on adding it's that gap's going to get bigger and bigger so it's going to be interesting to watch how this trade design goes down for the giants
3: yeah um i think first before i get into my teams the big one for me is rosenthal because the padres bullpen was supposed to be incredible this year with um and it just collapsed. I know part of that is due to injuries, but it really hasn't been that sharp. Getting to the Marlins, I think the Marlins are actually going to be a bit of both buyers and sellers. There are a lot of rumors that they're going to add to their bullpen um with talk they were in the Rosenthal talks as well. They're looking at Holland and Stalmont from the Royals. Um but the big name I've seen as rumored is Jose Urena might um be traded off of the Marlins. And that's not because he has value. He's been on the COVID IL. Um, there's just a logjam at pitching right now. The Marlins have called up Sixto um, Sanchez, who's there to stay. They've called up Rodgers, who's there to stay. They have Sandy Alcantara. Caleb Smith should be coming off the IL um, relatively soon. And Urena is a pitcher who can give value to another team. So the Marlins need some, re- some relievers. They might get another bat, and Urena fits that perfectly while they and get like to help them and last if, I don't know if you remember the first podcast but you asked what it would take to get um Nimmo or Conforto <laughs> As, after today I wouldn't be surprised if the Mets may look at selling they're starting to fall off a bit but I'm, I'm not
0: convinced they'll sell I'm not convinced they'll buy um but you might get your wish I'm still asking those questions um <laughs> The White Sox focus seems to have shifted as it should, mind you, towards pitching. Um, What was seen to be sort of a position of depth heading into the season has certainly not been the case um, heading into week five, week six of the season. The focus has certainly shifted there. Clevenger is a name they've been tied to. I'm not buying it. Um, If the price is high for Clevenger – for teams in the other uh, in the other divisions, in the other league, I can only imagine what the price is to trade him to a division rival. The Sox are not in a position to match those demands, frankly. Um, but I, I would prefer to get someone like Gosman, who at 29 has really good stuff and is on a one-year deal and is someone that I would like to shore up both if it had to be in the rotation, so be it. In the bullpen, so be it. That's that's a flexible arm with good stuff that I can rely on. Um, personally, that's my pick for who I would like the Sox to go out and get. i like them to find a reliever, too. Um, but if they can find a front-of-the-rotation-type arm, I would be all for that as well. But if, after a few hours of... Um, a lot of conversation in terms of clevenger and even gallo and lynn it has gone eerily quiet on twitter yeah, as we're recording has, this and even leading up to this and yeah feels like the calm one, before the storm or i mean since we had part of the storm we're kind of in the eye of the storm
2: yeah yeah one more uh, one more comment just on what jonah said he threw in uh, josh stoneman's name from the royals just, and that is a name that has come up a lot. But Ryan's
0: because- like, no. The Royals
2: are not in contention. I would, I would not trade and him. And <laughs> he's great, but this is also his first year in the major leagues, and the Royals have control of him for a full five years. Mm-hmm. So I would say that he's a name that you won't see traded. I, I,
3: I, I wouldn't trade him if I were the Royals. I just saw, yeah. especially in the, on Marlon Twitter, I don't know if it was an official um, a- analyst, but it was a name that, like, someone could go on and get, but – it was more. They were more tight. Um, Holland and Rosenthal.
2: Yeah, and Holland. I would say um, I wouldn't be surprised if Greg Holland gets dealt also. Um,
1: but getting value for he, Holland, I think, would be incredible. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah, even getting value out of Rosenthal was pretty good. Yeah. No. Um, I, it's also exciting just to go on a little tangent here. It's also a little bit exciting about Royals pitching development and coaching because over the yeah. offseason we saw. Both Rosenthal and Stomont, who were not guarantees to be anything this year, um, both of them were adding velocity and obviously that's turned out pretty well for the Royals so far.
0: I will say yeah. I am pleasantly, not pleasantly surprised, because that would make me seem like it's a good thing. It's not. <laughs> I'm impressed um, by the Royals currently. Um, you know, last week when we were talking about Stom- or Stomont and you were like, eh, he could be the closer of the future. I'm like, is the Royals' future really going to be that close? And after watching them this weekend, they're a little bit of a pain in the ass uh, for, <laughs> yeah. for contending teams between sweeping the Twins a while ago and really giving the Sox a run for their money this weekend. And I, I truly mean that the Sox did not deserve to take two of three this weekend. Uh, they're a little bit of a pain, and they might have uh, their contention window open a little bit earlier than I think I would assume as a White Sox fan. Um, so not a pleasant development, but an impressive one from my standpoint. Oh, it
2: sure is pleasant. <laughs> well, see, all, the, all, that I, all that I have to say is if you had told me even a year ago that the Royals would be the team to call for added relievers this year, mm-hmm. I've been over the moon.
0: Right. <laughs> yeah. Last like, year, I don't if,
2: you, uh, if you've forgotten, we started last year with Willie Peralta as the closer.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it is. I mean, seeing yeah. those arms come out and especially homegrown arms as well. Um, that that's for any team a pleasant development. Yeah, yeah. yeah. any homegrown
1: player for any team. Yeah, honestly, you love honestly. to see it.
3: Yeah,
0: I mean, even from the pitching side of it too. The less you have to spend there, especially in your bullpen, and you can allocate those resources towards uh, other positions, other needs. I think that, uh, I mean, certainly any position is a pleasant development. But if you can find a bunch of bullpen arms and string your bullpen together that way, um, more power to you. I think that's something the Sox are doing in some form and something I've been impressed with what the Royals are doing. Much to my dismay. <laughs> and probably much to my pain in the coming years. <laughs> <laughs> the Tigers, too. I'm not too excited. Yeah,
2: yeah. Tigers will be Tigers
0: will be good. Yeah. Sure. But in less pleasant development and more of a serious topic, kind of shifting away from what we would typically talk about in a week here, recapping on Diamond Digest, is some of the um, racial injustices that have come to light once again in the Major Leagues, not saying they have ever gone away, but certainly have been the spotlight of conversation again this week. After the shooting of Jacob Blake in Kenosha, Wisconsin, um, this past week, certainly the response in the sports world has been a little bit different um, than what we had previously seen between more of symbolic gestures towards racial injustices and movements such as Black Lives Matter. A a little bit more of a concrete movement of sorts from the sports world. It did start with the Milwaukee Bucks who kind of set everything in motion by canceling, or not canceling, but boycotting uh, their NBA playoff game. And the rest of the NBA decided to follow that canceling or canceling all playoff games and teams boycotting throughout that. Hockey also, the NHL, suspended play for two days after the incident in Kenosha, Wisconsin. And in Major League Baseball, you know, a league that we've had several writers write about, you know, the the optics of it being such that they're making gestures rather than Concrete actionable steps forward. The, the Major League Baseball got in on this movement as well in a very concrete and actionable way from what we've been used to. It did start with the Brewers boycotting their game against the Reds, and the Reds, of course, not making them forfeit the game. Later that evening, the Giants and Dodgers were also postponed for the same reason. The Mariners and Padres were as well. The A's and Astros suspended their doubleheader again for the same reasons of racial injustices. And the day after all of these um, boycotts and cancellation of games, the Mets and Marlins took the field for a game in silence. And after taking the field, left the field and canceled and boycotted their game as well, leaving just a Black Lives Matter shirt on home plate in what has been one of the more powerful images um, coming out of all these boycotts and protests over both this week and the previous weeks um, around the United States. Additionally, Jason Hayward and Dexter Fowler of the Cubs and Cardinals, respectively, uh, did not play in games in which their teams did play. Both encouraged their teams to go out and play. Certainly not a decision that was taken lightly by either team. I'm sure there are things I've missed there, and it is certainly not unique to just the situation in Kenosha that has brought about these events and on our podcast here. And when we talked about putting this together, we had five or six people who really wanted to speak about this topic on the podcast and schedule restrictions to just did not allow everybody, but Jonah, Ryan and Diego were all for the fans listening. were all chosen specifically because of either things they've written about or experiences they can speak to, or just having the maturity to speak on such a difficult topic of racial injustices in the United States and around the world. And, you know, I want to sit here and turn it over to the people who have written about it, who can talk about it best. And I encourage everyone listening to really listen to the conversation that these three are going to have after I turn it over to them. And hopefully their words inspire you. Hopefully their words teach you something and you you learn something from the situations that they're going to talk about. And, the experiences that they're going to share and the knowledge that they have on such an unfortunate topic and such an over – it's not a topic that is talked about enough in baseball and in sports. Sports are sort of seen as an escape, and I'm sure I'm stealing somebody's line by saying that. Um, But certainly sport leagues around the United States have taken it upon themselves to say, no, you don't necessarily get to just escape The real world by coming to sport leagues and sport leagues we can easily just boycott because we are people too we are humans experiencing this as well but with that i will turn it over to you three you three are the ones who have so much to say on this topic and like i said i i really encourage anyone listening to really take what they have to say to heart um i know they've certainly thought long and hard about what they're going to speak on this evening so i will turn it over to you guys
2: yeah, so um, thank you, Jordan. The, the first thing that is worth noting, and this comes from uh, you know media coverage of it as much as it comes from us, is that it's notable to understand that this isn't a boycott by the players or the league or the teams. Um, it's the players going on strike, and that's an important thing. It's an important delineation because the players have the distinct power as the labor force of these leagues to withhold that labor. And that's what they're doing, and it's notable. So that's the first thing I just want to open up by saying it's very important to acknowledge um, that what we were seeing this past week is is the players going on strike.
3: Yeah. um, Honestly, when I saw that the Milwaukee Bucks had boycotted their game or went on strike, the first words were out of my my mouth were baseball could never. And the reason for that is is that baseball as a sport is – there's only 80 black players in the entire sport right now in the major league. That's 8% of the league. It's a number that's been cut in half since 1995. And I felt like at the beginning of the season, the actions were very performative. I did not think that baseball or baseball teams would take a stand with such few black players in the league. And I am very happy to have been proven wrong on that. And in a little bit, I'll probably talk a bit more about what baseball can do better um, and more performative actions as opposed to just more, sorry, more actual actions as opposed to more just performative actions.
1: Yeah. And I think um, another thing kind of to note um, with the uh, Mets and Marlins, like that, when they took the field and uh, had that moment of silence, that moment of silence, 42 seconds long, uh, intentionally done. Lewis Princeton, the first batter uh, sent up for, my, for Miami intentionally done as I believe the only black player on that roster. Yeah. On that. Yeah. yeah. Early, um, intentionally done. There are a lot of things that kind of get lost in the shuffle of some of these movements or some of these, uh, these actions and like with this movement uh, that, you know, the, the, those participating in the movement, these baseball players, um, they think it through. They think about everything, every little detail and they just, it can get lost in the public eye. Um, but these things do need to be uh brought up to light um and when i remember when it first happened uh those details weren't being reported they weren't being uh really like you know brought shown out and then um as that night progressed people were catching on to these things and like this these are extra details here that it's meant to mean more and um i know uh that first night of uh cancellations of the boycotts of the strike um I remember Oakland, I believe, didn't cancel the first night. They were a second-day response. Um, and uh, I'm not f- uh, from Oakland, but I, uh, where I'm originally from back home, um, I'm not there anymore, um, is near Oakland, and so I've seen that city. And uh, the people there were upset about it because they felt the team wasn't standing up for their community, but is largely um, of color. Um, and so – uh, when they were able to make that gesture the second day, um, the people like, not like saying everyone in Oakland, but these are things I have observed um, just in my personal life and what I had seen of the people I know. Um, like They felt a lot better about it, and they felt like these teams and these players were actually uh, using their platform, and I think that's so important. Like, I wrote a piece about it. Uh, when I wrote my piece, it was like two in the morning, I couldn't sleep, and I'm like, this is how I'm feeling. Wrote it down, and then published the next day is something that was important to me and as uh, uh a person of color myself um living in a place where you don't i don't see a lot of people who look like me um i i don't by any means want to claim that i know exactly what um black individuals in our society go through uh but i kind of can like understand a bit of what goes on um i had a conversation with my mother uh yesterday and um she asked me, uh, because I uh if you can if you could see me, if you can't see me, like I have a, a beard and I'm, I'm Mexican. I'm very proud of that. So I have darker skin. And my mom uh was concerned that uh I'd need to be like feared, fearing for my life just walking down the street because of the way I look. And it's a very real concern for a lot of people. And um after thinking on that for a little bit, I was like, No, it's not often, but it's not unheard of in my own personal life. And that's just based on purely how I look and my appearance. And I know for all of the black individuals in all around the the country, it's so much worse based solely off of that one detail. And these players are finally fed up um, all around the sports and using that big platform that they have to make a difference. And it's important to watch and it's important to kind of listen, take heart, they're taking it all heart and a league that doesn't get nearly enough recognition for it is the WNBA. They've been doing it for months and they don't have necessarily the same platform as a lot of these other leagues, but they should be the league that every other professional sports league is basing it off of because they're doing it right.
3: Yeah. The WNBA I know has been doing it for a long time and I like they I think it was the Seattle team. They showed the most powerful image I have seen from this, they had Jacob Blake written on the front of their t-shirt and seven bullet holes on the back of their t-shirt. And it's great to see, like they're a sport that needs a bigger platform.
2: Yeah. And so, you know, coming down to the idea of whether the players really deserve the ability to do this. And as Jordan mentioned earlier, the idea that sports should be an escape for people. I want to draw on a nice, uh, an article I read on baseball prospectus written by Corey front and Craig Goldstein, um, which talked about that idea of both sports being an escape and, um, another popular idea that's been discussed in this time, uh, which kind of started with nationals pitcher, Sean Doolittle, which is the idea that sports are a reward for functioning society. And the idea that idea from Doolittle of sports being a reward comes in light of the pandemic. Um, He said that as baseball was negotiating, starting up again, and um, you know, at that point it didn't necessarily have to do um, with the discussion of race, but at this point it absolutely does. And the point, the central point that they make in that article is that sports fundamentally cannot be both an escape for people, and a reward for a functioning society because if sports are a reward for a functioning society as Doolittle suggests and of others, as others have suggested, there should be nothing significant that we need to escape from. There's nothing more omnipresent for people to want to escape from than a society, which is inherently imperfect. And so those two ideas that have become pretty popular just don't go well together. And so the article suggests instead that rather than being a reward for a functional society, which is the ideal, the standard that we should shoot for, sports reflect and reinforce the society that produces them. And one example they use is um, when the Negro Leagues of Baseball were still um, functional and they were the result of a segregated society and they reinforced that segregation because society produced segregated baseball which reinforced the idea of segregation from which it came. And even when integration happened and the civil rights movement happened, baseball and other sports still mirrored real society because it happened on white people's terms. And even today, that is still something that holds true in large part um, with respect to this race conversation. So as a result, it's incredibly noteworthy that the players are doing something like this that's never been done before they're going against the norm and they're breaking this contract that they have with society Um, because when we give sports, the power to mediate our relationship with society by saying that they give us an escape, the athletes who, as I mentioned before, are the labor force of these sports. They also have the ability to seek out the society that they desire because we've tasked them with mediating our relationship with society and, you know, making that work for us in whatever way. So they have the ability and the power to say that no, society isn't how we want it, and it has to change in this way. And yeah.
3: That was continue.
2: Um, so pretty much, we, we can only have sports as an escape from society or the reward for a functional society. And at that point, if sports are the common ground, if the sports are unchanging, why would anyone say that they don't want a functioning society, right? If you have to choose between having to escape from a society that's imperfect and a functioning society, I don't think you'd ask anyone who would say that they don't want a functional society. So even if that's idyllic, there's no reason to want anything else. And it comes down then to what constitutes a functional society. And the players are saying that on a fundamental level, a functional society is not a society in which the state and the establishment can kill civilians without punishment. And... That's especially reigns true when that has to do with race and when there's a racial factor. So the players absolutely have the ability to stand up for the society they wanna see. And they're saying, look, that's not the society we have right now.
3: To build off your point, Ryan, I'm currently getting my degree in sociology. It's literally the study of uh, society. And I think a big root of that is that you can easily make the argument that religion, uh, sports to us have become a religion. But when it becomes a religion, it covers up the imperfections of society. It basically created this cloud of what we want as a perfect society. And with that, it left out anyone who's not part of the religion. And anyone, like, sports has become an escape for a lot of us because of that, where we need to have something that's part of our identity. But it hasn't allowed us to see the bigger picture outside of sports.
2: yeah no that's absolutely true and another thing that i'd like to draw on is um a book that i recently finished reading um by the author Zagie smith who is a black woman and a professor at uh, new york university and uh one of the well-acclaimed authors of our time and she recently published this book called intimations that's a collection of essays mostly having to do with isolation and a lot of the emotions that have come out um, from the pandemic, but also from the discussion of race that's emerged. And the last chapter, of the last essay, um, she really gets into... Um, her fundamental point is that the, the way that we've treated this virus, this coronavirus, has She drew a parallel with that to the idea that contempt is also a virus that exists in our society. And she talks about how contempt allows for the consideration of other people to be less than human. And she says, in the eyes of contempt, you're statistical, you're worked around, you're a calculated loss, you have no recourse, you do not represent capital, and therefore you do not represent power. And so this virus of contempt, she argues, allows people, especially those in power, to view others separately from themselves but the most potent strain of this virus, she says, the virus in its most lethal manifestation um, is with respect based in the United States. And she says that, you know, she talks about it with respect to the killing of George Floyd. And then she asks an important series of questions um, that kind of continue to draw on this metaphor as contempt as something, as a virus that actually impacts our body. And she asks, has America metabolized contempt? Has it lived with the virus of contempt so long that it no longer fears it? And is there a strong enough desire for a different America within America? And the first two questions are definitely piercing of whether we've metabolized contempt and it's gotten to the point where we are kind of numb to it. Um, And I think they carry weight because the answer is likely yes. And so then it comes down to the last question, which is, is there a strong enough desire for a different America within America? And that comes down to whether the United States is truly a nation, in the sense of a nation as a large body of people, the dictionary definition, a large body of people associated with a particular territory that's sufficiently conscious of its unity to seek or possess a government. And right now, I would argue, and I think the players are arguing that a nation is a unified body of people, and the United States as we know it today is not. And you know, I would say that just about anyone can agree that the United States needs some kind of change. This, wh- where we are today is not where we want to be. And like I was saying, the players are making the point that we sh- there should not exist a system where the state can kill people in the form of police violence <laughs> and brutality and nobody deserves death or brutality based on their skin color. And so the players are calling for unity behind these ideas. And this is why, as Peyton Ellison, who wrote one of our, uh, the articles we published on the subject, as he put it, athletes not only shouldn't stick to sports, they can't. And so Major League Baseball, in a statement they made, insists that as an organization, it remains united for change in our society. And that was the same night when Jason Hayward and Dexter Fowler decided not to play, and their team still played without them. So still, MLB is not setting a perfect example, but MLB and other sports leagues, especially the WNBA, they've set the right goal. And in these actions, they've absolutely drawn attention to that goal and the idea that we do need to unite for change to become that idea of a nation and to come together to seek out the society that we actually want.
3: Yeah, um, to build off your point, I was actually going to reference one of Payton's articles, but I can also bring up some concrete things that MLB, what I would like to see MLB that can do better. So first, I was going to talk about some of the smaller issues that oftentimes go overlooked. The Payton, our colleague, his article about the whole Yankees hair, the facial hair and the hair, which is very much tied to race. Um, Black players, a lot, have different kinds of uh, hairstyles. But the Yankees have a policy that you have to have short hair. It very much limits the um, the person that, um, players being able to uh, express their personalities. So I think one thing that MLB should look into is that rule. Um, there's a couple other things, small like that. Like the whole Tory Hunter thing was shocking, learning about why he would never play in Boston. That seems to have been covered, at least by the Red Sox. Um, the... Like I was doing research on a project about race and baseball attendance um, for one of my classes, and I found out that black players, their baseball cards, are worth in, are worth much less resale value. So there's a, still a lot of issues in race, but there are two main things that I think MLB can really do to like go the next step. The first is their hiring. They have a law that you have to interview on um, diversity for certain positions. But like the Rooney rule in football, it needs to be amended, updated, because we have still seen that it's been very hard for black coaches to to get jobs. I I don't even – what's the number right now? Like one or two this year? It's very small.
2: Something like that. Managers, um, yeah. The only yeah, one I can think of is Dusty Baker.
3: Yeah, so – and then the second one is – I know I talked a bit about this in an article – Um but MLB can better market their players, especially their black players to help raise their voices. They've done a good job of this with the Latino, the Hispanic, even Shohei Otani, so the Japanese, where in their commercials, they'll have multiple languages. But outside of really Mookie Betts and Aaron Judge, they haven't really highlighted their black players or their voices. And I think it would help draw more black fans in. It would help get more, it would hopefully help raise the fan. MLB is struggling with fan problems. It should help create fan base. It's a win-win situation. It's to better market their minority players. And as I said before, there's only 80 in the game right now. I know minor league. There's a good amount. I don't know the exact number, but when it's at eight percent, that seems to be small. And MLB can definitely market better, and it will help the MLB, and it will help their grow their fan base.
2: Yeah. And, um, you know, pretty much the only other thing I have to say is for a long time, I think MLB has kind of thought of itself as a very progressive league, um, especially with respect to race, because it was the first major sports league to integrate with Jackie Robinson and really ever since then, that hasn't been the case. And even when Robinson was the first black player in baseball, and integration started to happen before other sports leagues. You know, especially in recent years, MLB has not been as proactive about these issues of race as other leagues. The NBA and the NFL have absolutely outperformed MLB in getting the discussion going and getting their message out there. So it is absolutely good that MLB is now taking a stand and... Actually taking action, um, and yeah, but the discussion is far from over. There's still definitely more that needs to be done. But more than anything, and this is the sentiment that echoed in Peter Kayat's article about this um, as well, is that this does more than anything. Um, we we should take this as a call to action, but we should also take it as a beacon of hope for the future um, that we are starting to see this change.
3: Yeah, I. Don't- just realized that the last time there wasn't any fans before the season was in the response to what was going on in Baltimore like in 2015 I believe Um, but there MLB decided that it's best to have an escape they just they still play the game in Baltimore they just didn't allow fans so as to your point like they think of themselves as progressive but they really aren't and are just allowing the escape
1: to continue I think uh, one thing I want to just kind of get in, um, kind of based off of what Ryan was saying here, was um, this: this can't go like un unchanged. Things can't go unchanged. This can't go unheard. This can't go. This can't be a blip in the timeline of today or in baseball. This has to be not like a turning point. This has to be a major plot point in like the narrative moving forward. Like now is not the time to divert from this narrative of uh, the Black Lives Matters movement of the um, inequalities going on uh, in the world today in the United States especially. Um, this is the time to educate yourself. This is the time to like learn, listen to other people. Uh, like other people have stories. Everyone has a story. Everyone knows things are different for every person on this earth. And that's just how life is. That's how humans interact. That's how humans work. Uh, but some things, especially uh, something that I've noticed um, with people I interact with, um, if you're not directly affected by it, you're not going to think about it. So I encourage ev- anyone and everyone listening to seek some something. Seek out more knowledge. Seek out Something that will make you, or have help you understand a little bit more, a little bit better. Uh, things. This this movement's happening for a reason. There are. There's so much going on. There's so many people. Like there's so much at stake. And to only to better educate yourself isn't a difficult thing to do. It just takes a willingness to learn, a willingness to listen a willingness to actively make that change. And I encourage anyone and everyone to absolutely do that in their lives, no matter how big or small the step it is. Uh, changes need to occur in everyone's lives everywhere around the country.
3: Very well said, I fully totally agree. And I'm not going to pretend like I've experienced it, but I've heard enough from friends from the internet that I am now able to say unequivocally Black Lives Matter.
0: Diego, how old are you? I'm 21. Ryan?
3: 19.
0: And Jonah? 21. I'm only 23, and I'm the only one, oldest one on this podcast right now. And, you know, three very mature individuals just sat here and had a very mature conversation about what's going on in the world. And I think that, you know, for anyone listening, old, young, what have you, it's a positive step forward when such young individuals can have such mature decisions um, or excuse me, make such mature decisions and have such mature conversations. Um, I I hope everyone listening takes what they say to heart, really looks at something like where Jonah mentioned the value of baseball cards being different by race. I I hope you take those things and I hope you look at the world a little bit differently. And I hope you, take the opportunities myself included to open your eyes a little bit to the world going on around you. Um, not just treating baseball as an escape as so many would like it to be, but understanding that for the people you're putting in your fantasy lineups and betting on these are humans too. These are humans who feel the effects of everything going on on a daily basis, just like you and me. And some are clearly hurting more than others at this point. Um, I have nothing to say that could be possibly better than any of these. what these guys have said. I have no desire to throw in an inspirational quote of any kind, but I just ask everyone listening, be kind to one another. Take the time to listen to your fellow man, your fellow woman, what have you, and take the time to have conversations that might necessarily not be the most easy ones to have, might be more difficult than what you'd experience on a daily basis is a challenge that I issued myself and a challenge that I issued all of you, um, no matter where you stand in life, have those conversations that need to be had. But that's going to do it for us folks. I, again, I truly, truly hope you took something from this conversation. Um, again, these are three mature individuals who have spoken on the topic. Ryan and Diego have both written on it and both mentioned, uh, excuse me, um, Peyton Ellison and Peter Kayat, their work as well. They were supposed to be on this broadcast as well, but scheduling problems did not allow that to happen. I encourage you to go on our website, diamonddigest.com, and read their work as well. Read what they had to say. Um, Some very powerful words from them as well. Again, that's going to do it for us. For Jonah Keen, Ryan Rudy, and Diego Franco-Coreno, this is Jordan Lozowski signing off. Take care, everyone. We'll talk to you next week. And once again, please be kind to one another.